<laughs> well, welcome. If you're new this morning, my name is Jeff, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I have a special guest with me this morning, Rusty. Rusty, could you just introduce yourself and your beautiful family who's sitting right over well, here? Most of them are. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, as he calls me Rusty, but my real name is Orestes Bronson. Um, I have a lovely wife, Liz, and three children, Aaron, Jacob, and Sophia. Um, just, I'm here. How, how, long have, <laughs> how long have you guys been part of Faith Church? Oh, well, me and myself, it's been seven years since I've been coming to church. Uh, I worked a weekend shift for a long period of time, so once I got off of weekends, I started coming to church. But I know Liz started coming when Jacob was, our, young, our oldest was young, which is like 11 years ago. Okay. So they've been around. You know, as I've gotten to know Rusty in my couple years here, he has been a real encouragement to my soul personally. And when I knew that we were doing these interviews and stories of God at work, I, wanted, I really wanted him to come up so you could hear from him. And so thank you for being willing to do that. This well, morning, I'm nervous, but yeah. I'm here. <laughs> so this morning our topic is on the Word of God, getting it into us. Rusty, I'm, I'm wondering if you'd be willing to share a bit this morning with everyone what it's been like for you, what your experience of the Word of God has been. Maybe let's just start there. All right. Well, for one, a lot of you guys don't know, I have difficulties reading. So one of the ways that it has been for me to get into the Word is by listening. Um, several years ago, one of the, our friends from church actually got me the audio Bible. Um, and since then, I've had two copies of it, you know, and... Then the other way is song. Um, singing songs in church or listening to the radio. Um, my station is always on K-Love. Christian music has been one of the ways that I get the word. Being in nature, being out. I, what is read or I hear I put in the song, you know, in different songs that I've heard, you know, we are loved and we're never alone. Well, never alone, there's songs of just never once have we ever been alone. Yeah, one of the, one of the things I quickly learned about Rusty when I would ask him, how's it going connecting with God and his word? Very quickly, I learned that for you, that, that reading it has not been easy, in fact, frustrating. Yeah, it, it is, extremely. Yeah, so what, can you talk a little bit about the, like, the ups and the downs this morning, about what that has been like? Well, there's different days of, if I read one passage, that's about it. You know, and, or if I listen to a little bit. That's all, I can, that's all I can do. And then there's days when I don't even want to read or listen to the Bible. So that's where song comes in, yeah. in a lot of times. 
appreciate your honesty. So what difference has it made for you to get into the Word however you, you are able? What difference in your life practically has that made? Well, I noticed that, and my wife says, my anger, if I just step back and think of what I've learned in the Bible or go in the song, Lord, I need you, you know, it, it, I can calm down. You know, I've grown up in frustrations and violence a little bit of just getting nervous. But if I noticed if I go into song or get something playing in my mind, I can calm down. Not very easy at times, though. That's the reality, right? It's not yeah. like this is just smooth sailing. For any of us, we're in progress, right? We're in process. Every day. But that's a significant difference in your life. Oh, yeah. Even though it's, it's still not perfect. So what about lately? Like, I guess the last question I have is, what is something that lately God has been impressing upon your heart from your times in the Word that's been encouraging to you? I really don't know how to answer. <laughs> um, Lately, I would say it's like reaching out to others or just knowing that I'm not the only one that's struggling. You know, and some of the struggles that I've gone through in my life are actually being used. Mm -hmm. You know, and I can talk with others that have, with addiction or and different losses, I'm able to talk to somebody. Whereas before, I would just keep it shy. Yeah, what you consume comes out. So the other day when I asked you that question, we were in the woods. Immediately what came out of Rusty when I said to him, what have you been learning lately, was fear not, for I am for with I'm you. With you. And uh, I needed to hear that in that moment. And he had something for me because he had been in the Word. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Thank you for coming up here as well. You know, uh, there are other people in the room I know that reading the Word is not your first choice because of the way you're wired, because of the way you are. And uh, I, I hope that Rusty's story can be encouraging for all of us to keep going, to do what we're able to do, uh, even though uh, I know for many of us it's not a delight actually to read. Reading can be really challenging. Thank you for being open and willing to share that with us, man. Appreciate it. Let's thank pray. you for being here. <laughs> yeah, man. Let's pray for Rusty. God, thank you for this man. Thank you for your call in his life and for his wonderful family. I pray for blessing upon them. I pray that the root of that word that is in him would continue to go deeper and deeper and Lord, would many in this room be encouraged through what you're showing him. And Lord, as we dismiss the kids, for faith kids, we pray that you'd go with them. Would you fill each one of these kids with your spirit? Would you strengthen and encourage all the teachers to be able to bring your word to them this morning? We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. If you were a child up through grade six, you may go through those doors in the back to faith kids.
Well, good morning again. I'm really excited uh, to be up here this morning to continue this series that we are in. I wanted to say good morning to you who are online as well. We know many of you are not able to be here right now. and We miss you, but we want you to know that you are in our minds this morning, and we hope that you can feel the connection with us, even as you worship from a distance. Would you pray with me this morning as we get ready to hear God's word and for some needs that are all around us this morning? Father, thank you that you have given us your word, that you have stirred in our hearts faith. I pray this morning that you would help each one of us to hear from you in your word. Would you fill us with your spirit to that end? And Lord, we want to pray for those who are in need this morning. Shelly Majeski, oh Lord, would you bring comfort? We know that you are the God of all comfort. Would you be with her in hospice as she deals with this cancer? Would you be with Bob and their family? Lord, we ask collectively for your comfort for them and for all who are close to her. Lord, we pray for those, like Rusty mentioned, who might be at work this morning, unable to gather, laboring. Would you be with those right now, God, who are working? And Lord, would you be with others who we know in our life need your mercy, they need your grace, they need to know who you are, they need to experience your love. We pray for you to make yourself known to them and to bring your power to bear upon their lives. And finally, Lord, be with us. Be with us this morning. Teach us and lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I was up here like Rusty with Jay and I shared some of my story, some of the recent story about how God called me out of the tech field and into vocational ministry. This morning, I want to take a step back a little bit and go back a little further and share about the beginnings of my discipleship to Jesus, what it looked like for me. And my hope in sharing more of my story and the particulars of it is that it would be an encouragement to you, wherever you are with Jesus this morning, wherever you find yourself with him. So from a very young age, I had placed my faith in Jesus. I belonged to him. I was a new creation in him. I received forgiveness of sins. I was transferred out of the kingdom of darkness, right, into the kingdom of his son. And I lived there. Today, as you heard and know, my life is about Jesus, about growing as a disciple of Jesus every day. But here's the thing. I could not have articulated that in that way for much of my walk with Jesus, for much of my life. Part of that is completely normal. What we grasp as a child is very different, right, than what we grasp as an adult. That's a given. But part of the reason for me that I couldn't have said it that way was that I simply had been not taught about discipleship in that way. I had fantastic teachers. I had faith-filled parents who raised me to have faith in Jesus, but I had missed, whether it was through not listening well and comprehending or whether it was I had just never been taught it, that we could live a life as a disciple of Jesus right now. I had missed out on the good news of the availability of life as his disciple today. I didn't understand that. And I didn't understand at all that part of being a disciple of Jesus meant that he was going to use me to help other people, just as he uses all disciples, 
to grow in him as well. I had totally missed that. But I came to learn that to be a disciple of Jesus is to be a learner under him. It's to be his student. But you've heard me say it before that I think a better word than disciple or student is apprentice. Because we follow Jesus not just to gain knowledge, but to gain skills and to become entirely new people, transformed more and more into his image. We learn from him how to live in the kingdom of God right now where we live and do our life. What changed for me? What was it that finally clicked that I understood I could be a disciple of Jesus in my real life, just regular me today? Well, to answer that question, I want to introduce you to a few men. The first one on this list is Paul Barr. Paul lived as a disciple of Jesus. Paul became a missionary to Malawi for 30 years. I never met Paul. He's with Jesus now. But he faithfully invested in the next name on this list, Max Rollins. All I know about Max Rollins is that he was a faithful disciple of Jesus who had a vision to help other people become disciples. He invested in the next name on that list, Vic. I know Vic very well. Vic lives in Colorado Springs. He's been a vocational missionary for 37 years. He's a very animated man. If he was up here right now, his eyes would be very wide and you'd be speaking very passionately. That's just who he is. Among other things, God used Vic to stretch my prayer life, sometimes in very uncomfortable ways. The most important thing, though, about Vic for my life is that Vic Black invested in Norman Hubbard. Norman Hubbard. I met Norman when I was 18 years old, a month before my freshman year at the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire. He and his wife were moving from Auburn, Alabama, where he was an instructor, to UW-Eau Claire to lead the Navigators ministry there on campus. He showed up at my home church in Nina a month before I left for college. He invested in me. He helped me grow as a disciple of Jesus. He loved me and he spent lots of time with me throughout my college life, probably when it wasn't all that easy a lot of the time. Norman and I also had a few sweet years of getting to work together when Jess and I went on with the Navigators as missionaries. We were co-workers for three years at the University of Illinois. He continues to have a voice in my life to this day and he continues to encourage me to walk with Jesus to this day. Norman Hubbard discipled me. But really, more accurately, he walked with me and helped me grow as a disciple of Jesus. Some of what we did together was reactive. It was about the things I was going through as a young man, stresses and challenges, joys and hopes. But then there were other things that were very proactive, things that Jesus had taught Norman that he wanted me to know too. So, Things like depending on God's provision and care, even when everything in your life doesn't look like he does care or that he can provide. Things like the importance of the word of God that we're going to talk about this morning, the importance of a prayer life, the importance of sharing my faith with other people. But most importantly, though, through his words and through his examples, Norman Hubbard instilled in me a vision for a life that could be lived as a disciple of Jesus in the nitty-gritty through the working hours of the day. 
through the bedtime hours at night, all the time. There have been lots of other people along the way that God has used too. I mentioned my parents earlier and others. God has used a lot of people, people in this room to help me grow in him. But I wanted to specifically share about my connection with Norman for a couple of reasons and about these other men. One is that I think what I just described, simple, relational, personal help, is something that God is calling us to more and more in this room. I think this is a bit of what it could look like for many of us here as we intentionally decide we're going to walk with each other as disciples of Jesus. The second reason, though, that I wanted to share about these men was that I think it highlights how important our own discipleship with Jesus is, not just to us and to our life, but to future generations of people. Every single person in here who is a follower of Jesus is so because someone before them and someone before them, and there's a chain that goes all the way back to the apostles themselves, followed him faithfully. I wonder for you, if you were trying to trace it out, it'd be a fun exercise. Who shared the gospel with you and then who shared with them and so on? There are so many faithful followers who pursued Jesus with all their life so that we could be here today talking about his word. And I think that is super humbling. And it's such an example of God's love for us. Our discipleship doesn't happen in a vacuum, does it? It has great impact on those who are around us, both now and then in the future generations. But I said one of the most crucial things that Norman instilled in me as we spent hour after hour after hour together was the centrality of this book, the Word of God, in the life of a disciple. It's absolutely crucial for apprentices of Jesus to have it in their life. But what is it? What are we called to do with it? And how should we approach it? That's what I want to cover together this morning. First, though, we come to the Word only after the first six weeks that we did in this basic series. You might have wondered, when are they going to talk about the Bible? We're talking about basics, and we haven't specifically talked about the Bible. That was very intentionally. If you have that little blue book with you that you can take notes in, if you look on page two, you can see the overview of everything that we've done so far. And I want to just highlight that we waited till week seven for a very important reason to talk about the Word of God. Because we come to the Word as blood-bought, redeemed, renewed sons and daughters of God. We have been forgiven. We've been set right with God and filled with the Holy Spirit. And now, after all of that is done, His good work, we get to live with Him every day of our lives, experiencing Him and walking with Him as His disciple. A life as disciple apprentices of Jesus is now available to us because of those first three weeks that we talked about. And then here's the second set that we just got done doing. Because of who we are, because we're these blood-bought, purchased sons and daughters of God, we have a new mission. We have new methods for that mission and we have new measurements for how we know that's going well. You may have caught that every week, the, myth, the mission, the methods, and the measurement were all centered on Christ. This is all about him. So it is in light of all of that, in light of what we've done so far, that now we move to the last three. How are disciples of Jesus formed and shaped and molded more and more to be like Jesus, their king and their master? Today we start with the word. 
The first point I want to make this morning about the Word is that it is a book written by disciples for disciples. This book was written by disciples for disciples. Men like Moses and Jeremiah and Isaiah, Luke, Peter, Paul, John, you could probably name some more, wrote for the people of God. They wrote for disciples who were seeking to follow God. And because it's written by disciples for disciples, our approach to the word needs to be as a disciple. I'll tell you what I mean here. It's different the way we approach other written things. For example, the newspaper. Whether you're reading the physical newspaper or you're clicking through online, our main aim when we read the newspaper is informational. We're seeking information about what's going on in the world. Who won the game last night? What is the weather going to be this week? That informational approach applies to any of the nonfiction that we have in our lives, whether it's an article on some sort of home repair that we're doing that we need some help with, or reading this year's fishing regulations. It's all informational. It's all getting information to use in our life in some way. So that's one approach, an informational approach to reading. Another one is recreational. Recreational. Think of adventures, whether it's an epic like The Lord of the Rings, or just a short article on someone's travels to a place that you would like to visit. Or maybe you're into mysteries or science fiction, or you just like humorous tales. Our approach to that sort of writing is recreational. We just simply enjoy it. It brings life to us. And my wife Jess would be very quick to point out that with recreational reading, it's almost always never just recreation. We learn a lot by using our imaginations as we read. To be clear, I'm saying not that there isn't important information in here. There is important information in this book. And there are stories and tales that will capture our imagination recreationally. But we don't approach this book, the Bible, primarily to gain information or to experience recreation. Instead, I'm going to suggest three other approaches this morning. The Bible for Apprentices of Jesus is not primarily informational or recreational. It's relational, it's transformational, and it's nutritional. Mm. It's, recre it's not recreational, it's transformational, it's relational, and it's nutritional. Look at John 5, 39 and 40 with me on the screen or in your Bible in front of you. This is Jesus speaking to people who were steeped in the Scriptures. People who would have said they loved the scriptures, but who hated him. John actually records for us a little before this passage that these people were seeking to kill Jesus all the more. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. They knew the scriptures, they had memorized them, they had studied them, but they missed what's most important, or more accurately, they missed who was most important, Jesus. Somehow they had thought that meticulous study of the Bible, and through that study they would gain life. But studying the Bible and knowing the Bible in itself brings no one life if you miss Jesus. Sadly, for these people, their Bible knowledge seemed to be the very thing that was preventing them 
from coming to Jesus that they could actually receive life. So Jesus warned these people and rebuked them, but I think for us too, this is an important warning. We will not gain life through simple study of the Bible itself. If our aim as apprentices of Jesus is to simply know this book, we're missing it. For a disciple of Jesus, this book is not the goal. Knowledge of this book is not our aim. The book, the Bible, is means. It's not an end. It's means to a relational connection with God. It's the quickest way to connect with God. So we approach our times in the Word relationally. When we go and read it, we trust that Jesus is actually with us. And that leads us to interact with Jesus as we read. We ask him, Jesus, as I read, please teach me. Please shape me. When our hearts are stirred by what we're reading and we're encouraged, we praise him and say, thank you. Thank you for encouraging my soul today. When we're discouraged, when we're stressed and anxious and fearful, we come to the word, we open it, and we say, God, would you please speak to me, comfort my soul with what is true in the world, what is true about me, what is true about you. When we're totally confused by what we read, and let's be honest, that happens, right? We read this book and it can be confusing. We actually rejoice in that even. Because our approach is relational, we see even troubled passages, problem passages for us as means to more and more connection with him. We actually wrestle with God as we read and are puzzled. So even the trouble spots become more and more vehicles through which we can connect with him. They prompt, they prompt us to focus on Jesus. So the word is relational, and then the word is also transformational. Look at 2 Timothy 2, 3, 16, and 17 with me. It says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproof, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be confident, equipped for every good work. This book was breathed out by God. A little, little side note of interest, as I was studying this passage, I found that, um, so 2 Timothy was originally written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy in Greek. The Greek word that is translated breathed out by God, it's just one word, that's the only occurrence. This sentence is the only occurrence of it in our Bible. And a lot of scholars think that the Apostle Paul actually coined a new term in order to capture that truth, that it was God's breath. There is something so unique about the Word of God that it required language that didn't exist to express what is going on in it. I think that's really amazing. So we don't just pick it up as we do at any other book and start flipping through it, looking for information, looking to be amused in some way. No, we pick it up knowing that it has a source in a personal God who loves us and made us. He wrote it for us. He inspired those apprentices I mentioned earlier to write it down for our good. And then we are the recipients of it. It is personal and relational and it is transformational. This is a book that is all about change and for change. So we come to the word submitting to what we read 
trusting that what we read is good. We don't come to the Word to see if we can fit more of God into our lives. I want to qualify that. So we don't come to the Word just to seek where we can fit more of God into our lives. When we do it that way, we end up kind of standing above the Word somehow, looking down at it, trying to fit it into different areas of our life to improve our life in some way. But really what happens, what needs to happen for apprentices is that we come to the, under the Word of God. And instead of seeking where we can put God in our life more and more, we seek to find out what life is all about to begin with. We seek to find out what God is doing in the world and then we come under that. That's a really, it's a subtle approach that's different, but it's very different. We come in submission to God and seeking to see what is it that he is doing in the world around us. The word then gives us new understanding. In this verse, it says that it's for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. To me, in a nutshell, that means it's for positive teaching about reality that we didn't know before. So things about God, things about us, things about the world and what God is doing in it. But also then negatively, it's meant to correct our misunderstandings about ourselves, about God, about the world, and things all around us. We learn new things, but then we also have our frame of reference completely changed. The narratives that we hold in our head about God transformed. We cling to the truth of God's word in order to understand reality. For example, when everything around us and maybe even inside of us is saying, God isn't near you, God doesn't care about what's going on in your life. If he did, that thing would stop. When that is happening in us, we open this book and we read and we hear, I will never leave you or forsake you. Behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. That is what is true. That is what is real. That changes us. God is with us and he knows and he's aware how do we know that? Because he has told us that in his word. Paul mentions this training in righteousness. And most likely, he was thinking very specifically about Timothy when he said that, Timothy's call to vocational ministry. He was saying, Timothy, this book is adequate and sufficient for what I've called you into. But then more generally, for every one of us, this book is sufficient this book is what we need to be competent in whatever God is calling us into, whatever the work is that he has called us into. Every good work is transformed. So our furnace went out last week. Bit of a bummer. Thankful it wasn't like 30 below. But now we have a new one. And our house is comfortable and warm again. I mention that experience because through two days a furnace work, one day of getting the furnace kind of limping along so that we had heat overnight and the next day of getting it replaced, I got to see and experience apprenticeship in real life. Two different highly skilled masters in that work had with them apprentices. Both of them did both days who were learning from them how to do the trade and the job that they were doing. And so I asked one of the guys, one of the experienced workers, Josh, if that's what, that's what I was observing. So I just confirmed with him, Josh, is, is he your apprentice who's trying to become like you in what you're doing? And he said, yeah. 
he is. And I said, I really admire that way of learning because it's hands-on. Because we know learning takes time. And without missing a beat, this is what Josh said in response. I also said, Josh could see that I was over here on my computer writing this sermon. I said, I think, Josh, that what you're doing with that young man is actually what Jesus is calling us to do with him in our everyday life. And this is what Josh said in response to that. He said, you can read all you want. Study all you want. But what you need to do is get out and experience it. Learn by doing and make mistakes and learn from your mistakes. I promised him I would quote that. That's so good. We can study and learn all we want. But until we get out and actually experience it for ourselves, I'm not sure we really know it yet. As apprentices of Jesus, what Josh described is exactly how we are meant to be approaching this word. We read it. Yeah, we study it. But we know and assume that it's meant to bring about change in our lives, that it's to be lived out. And until we start experiencing that with Jesus, we don't know it how we could. I also really love that Josh mentioned making mistakes. I don't know if you love that, but I thought that was brilliant. For him, with his apprentice, he assumes this guy is going to make mistakes because he just doesn't know yet. He hasn't tried it yet. I don't know how many times you have felt discouraged at your own mistakes in apprenticeship to Jesus. Are you ever just surprised by it? Like, what in the world? But I think Jesus is at least as good of a master as Josh is to this guy so he would know and expect that there's going to be mistakes. There are going to be things that trip us up that we need to continue to learn from the master. And God has provided all of the resources, all of the grace and cleansing and mercy to set things right. So when we do make those mistakes, and I don't think we're supposed to be getting super discouraged, we're just supposed to say, yeah, well, I'm an apprentice who's growing. Now, it doesn't mean we take the mistakes lightly, we don't. I hope all the mistakes that were made on my furnace were fixed, <laughs> right? It's important <laughs> to get it right. But we shouldn't be surprised at it. It's just part of what growing is. So at the same time that we aren't surprised by our mistakes, we also need to be expecting that God actually will transform us. I wonder if you ask yourself this morning, do you expect this year God to be transforming you? Like when we reach November of next year, I hope, church, that we are expecting that he is working in us to do more than we could have imagined, more than we could have thought around us and inside of us. Here's another thing. Discipleship to Jesus is not God pointing his finger at you through his word saying, be this way and don't be this way. I don't know if you've ever felt that way as, as you walk with Jesus, but God isn't like that. He's not this finger-pointing, condemning, shaming God. He's not annoyed with us. He doesn't want us to change just so our behavior won't annoy him anymore. Like, we kind of do that with people sometimes. That's not the way he is. Discipleship for us is not one more thing that we add to our list of things we ought to do, but we don't really like doing. No, it's about God's love for us. It's about us being vessels of God's love, experiencing him every day of our lives for all creation to see. God freeing us 
and healing us, transforming us to live a life that we really couldn't have imagined living before we met Jesus and started living as his disciple. It's a life where we actually really flourish as sons and daughters. So the Word is a book by disciples, for disciples, so we approach it relationally, transformationally, and I want to add one more. The Word is nutritional. Huh. It's nourishment for our souls. We feed on it. We take it into us, and God uses it to bring us life. The Word is a substance, just like food is, that needs to be taken into us, and when taken into us the way we've been describing this morning, actually has the power to transform us and to give us life, our soul's life. Did you know there are actually three men in the Bible who ate scrolls? Three men who actually ate the word. I want to show you just so that you believe me. It's kind of bizarre. Jeremiah is the first one. Listen to what it says. Your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O God, Lord of hosts. The next one's Ezekiel. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it, and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. The last one is from John in Revelation. An angel says this to John, Take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and I ate it. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and John all actually fed on the word. It was sweet in their mouth. John says it was bitter in his stomach. Probably as he was digesting what was in it, it made him, grieved him for the people of God in the book of Revelation. But in addition to Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and John, we have Jesus' own teachings on this topic. When Jesus was fasting and being tempted by Satan to turn stones into bread for him to eat, he quoted the book of Deuteronomy in Matthew 4. This is what he said. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We don't live by bread alone. Actually, literally, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Church, God intends for this word to nourish our souls, to sustain us. It is our oxygen. It is our bread. It is our treasure. And it is all of those things, even when it doesn't feel like it to us. It is all of those things, even when it doesn't feel like it to us. I want to get really practical now. I want to share with you an illustration and tool that I first learned from Norman Hubbard back when I was 18 through my involvement with the Navigators. If you have a kid who's in Awana this week, I taught this to them, so you might have gotten a preview of it. But I think it's so practical and so important for us that I want to do this together this morning. It's called the Word Hand. It's five ways the Word actually tells us that we can consume the Word. The Word actually does tell us that. And there are going to be passage, passages up here that I'm not going to read this morning for time's sake. You can write them down. I'd encourage you to look them up. Five ways 
to get the word into us. The first one is like Rusty described, hearing. So you're all hearing the word this morning. We've read some passages together. Maybe like Rusty, you have an audio Bible that you listen to. There might be some songs that are scripture-filled or hymns in your life. Hearing is a great way to get the word into you. The problem is if we only hear, our grip on the word is pretty weak. Like I'm, my pinky is weak and I'm trying to hold on to the Bible right now. On Wednesday night, the kids yanked it out of my hand to illustrate this. But right now, my grip by just hearing isn't very strong. So we want to add to that. The next finger represents hearing. Reading, sorry. We read the word. For those of you who are wired as readers, you read it in chunks. You read it to get as much in you as you can. You might read it slowly sometimes. And then you might want to read a whole gospel in a couple hours really fast. But like Rusty really importantly pointed out, we're not all wired that way. Rather than seeing that as a deficit, that is actually God's gift to us because we all learn differently. So if reading for you is a challenge, then my advice to you is you read what you were able to read and you do that over and over and over again. If it's a sentence or two, you just do that over and over again and then you supplement with hearing in other ways. You can see now with two fingers, these are still kind of weak fingers, but I'm getting a firmer grip on this book in my life. The next finger represents study. So when we come to the Bible to study it, we really dig into it, right? We get into the particulars of it, maybe the background information, more about who the authors are. Things like this morning I said, that Greek word is actually a made-up word. Paul made it up right there. That's what we learn when we study it. And study is best done with other followers of Jesus. So we do this together. We're doing it on Wednesday nights here every week. Men and women studying the word. I'd encourage you to build that into your life as you're able. My grip now is getting stronger. It's going to be harder to take that out of me because it's in me now. The next finger is memorize. Memorize. For me, in my walk with Jesus, memorizing has been the most important thing as far as how to use the word. I don't memorize a lot. But the effort and energy I put into memorizing, I find reaps fruit and benefits that far outweigh the effort it took me to memorize. This is just like reading, though. There's going to be some of us who are, find that easier. And some of us are going to find memorizing really difficult. I would just encourage you again, do what you're able to do. Don't compare yourself to each other. Just start getting it in you, memorizing it. The last part is our thumb, right? And that's meditate. By meditate, it just means think deeply, ruminate on it, chew on it, get everything out of it that is there. And with this hand illustration, it's on the thumb for a very important reason. Because when we meditate, we meditate on what we're memorizing, we meditate on what we study, we meditate on what we read, and we meditate on what we hear. We use that one with all the other ways. And then we have a firm grip on this word. Again, in the way that I've been describing this morning, not as an end in itself. Not that once we've done those five fingers, we've somehow graduated, no longer needing to be apprentices of Jesus. No, it's, this is a means to our apprenticeship with him. 
So I printed some copies of this illustration for you as well with some instructions on how to share it, and they're at the welcome desk out in the hallway if that interests you. My hope is that this could just be a practical help for you and then through you, like through Norman to me, that you could pass this on to someone else in your life. Church, the word of God is a gift to us, his people. It's his very breath to us. Our approach to it is relational and transformational and nutritional. Through the word, we commune with the triune God. Through the word, God transforms our lives, and through the word, our souls are nourished. Now we come to communion together this morning. Communion for apprentices of Jesus is actually a visible word. It's a visible word that nourishes our soul in a very similar way to what the written word does. We feed on the truth of Jesus' death on the cross for us as we experience the taste of the bread and of the cup. We're reminded of our redemption. We're reminded of our forgiveness. We're reminded of the new life that we have, and we anticipate Christ's continuing work now and then when he returns someday. All of those things, by the way, are truths that we only know because of the word of God. They're all found in here. But communion is this visible representation of that written word. This morning, if you have responded to Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior, I want to invite you to take this bread with me and this cup with me in a minute and let it nourish your souls as the Word of God does. If you're visiting with us this morning and you haven't trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior yet, all of us first want to say, welcome, we are glad you're here. We want to invite you to observe this somewhat odd and unique Christian way of worshiping Jesus with us this morning. Again, here's the word. 1 Corinthians 11. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would nourish our souls this morning, both with your written word and with this visible word that so tangibly reminds us of Christ broken for us. Thank you for freeing us and forgiving us of sin, from Satan's power and dominion, and from death itself. Help us to live in the newness of life that you have purchased for us, the resurrection life. And Lord, would you fill us with assurance that you have done everything that is necessary this morning for us to have this life with you now through Jesus. We pray in his name, thanking you, celebrating him, and anticipating his work around us. 
Amen.